listening to the Mystical City of God in Ear podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, I invite you to head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to share your own thoughts and insights about the reading today with others who are listening and following along. If you would like to support this free podcast, you can do so by sending a tip through Venmo to the handle Mystical City of God. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Sor Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria, teach us how to pray and meditate. Teach us how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady. Teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 328. We are reading from Volume 4, Book 8, Chapter 4, Paragraphs 440 to 447. 440. These diabolical frauds had thus been established when the neighboring kings defeated the Amazons and assumed the government of Ephesus. They preserved this temple of Ephesus as something sacred and divine, and they permitted the continuance of that gathering of foolish virgins. Although some man of the people burned this temple, the city and the government authorities rebuilt it, especially helped by the contributions of women. This was a little more or less than thirty years before the redemption of the human race. Hence, at the time when the Most Blessed Mother was in Ephesus, not the old temple stood, but the second one, built later. In this temple the virgins occupied different apartments, but as during the time of the Incarnation death of Christ, idolatry was so firmly established in the world, those diabolical women not only had not improved in their customs, but deteriorated, and nearly all of them held abominable intercourse with the demons. In connection therewith, they committed other most loathsome crimes, and deceived the world by their humbugging prophecies, by which the devil filled both them and their dupes and their insanities. 441. This, and much more, did the Blessed Mary behold around her in Ephesus, and on account of it she was struck with a sorrow certainly mortal, if she had not been preserved by the Lord. But having seen that Lucifer had appropriated the statue of Diana as a seat of throne of his wickedness, she prostrated herself upon the ground before her divine son and said, Lord God, most high, worthy of all reverence and praise, it is proper that these abominations, which have lasted for so many ages, should cease. My heart cannot bear to see that an unhappy and abominable woman receive the worship due to the true God, such as thou alone as the infinite deservest. Nor can I endure to see the name of chastity so profane and prostituted in honor of the demons. 
Thy infinite condescension has made me the guide and the mother of virgins, as a most noble part of the church. This most precious fruit of thy redemption, most pleasing to thee, the title of chastity must be consecrated to thee in the souls, which shall be my children, and I cannot consent to leave it any longer to these adulterous women. I make my complaint against Lucifer and against hell, for their presumption is unjustly appropriating such a right. I beseech thee, my son, to chastise them by rescuing these souls from his tyranny and conferring on them the liberty of thy faith and true light. 442. The Lord answered, My mother, I grant my petition, for it is not just that, even were it only in name, this virtue of chastity which was so ennobled in thee, as is so pleasing to me, should be ascribed to my enemies. But many of those counterfeit virgins are foreknown as reprobates, on account of their abominations and their obstinacy, and all of them will not embrace the way of eternal life. Some of them will not accept the faith which shall be taught them. At this juncture, St. John came to the oratory of the Most Blessed Mother. He did not know, then know of the mystery she was then engaged in, nor of the presence of her divine Son. But the true mother of the humble wished to join to her prayers those of his beloved disciple. She therefore secretly asked permission of her son to speak to him, and said to him, John, my son, my heart is grieved on account of the abominable crimes committed against the Most High in the temple of Diana, and my soul desires to see them ended and atoned. The holy apostle answered, My lady, I have seen something of what passes in that abominable place. I cannot restrain my sorrow and my tears, that the demon should be there venerated and worshipped, as is due to God alone. And no one can put a stop to such great evils unless thou, my mother, wilt take this matter in hand. 4.43 The most blessed Mary, then, ordered the apostle to join her in prayer for a remedy of these evils. St. John betook himself to his chamber, while the most blessed lady remained with the Savior in hers. Prostrate before the Lord and shedding copious tears, she resumed her prayers and petitions. She persevered therein with most burning fervor and, as it were, an agonizing sorrow. Appealing to her divine Son for comfort and consolation, she received the following responses to her petitions and prayers. My mother and my dove, let what thou askest be done without delay. Give thy orders and commands according to thy heart's wishes as the powerful mistress. By this favor the love of the most blessed virgin was inflamed with zeal for the honor of the divinity. As queen she imperiously commanded all the demons in the temple of Diana to descend immediately to the depths of hell and to leave the place which they had infested as their own for so many years. Many legions of them inhabited this temple, deceiving men by their superstitions and profaning the souls, but in the shortest twinkling of an eye and virtue of the powerful command of the queen, most holy Mary, all of them were hurled into hell. So great was the terror by which she struck them down, that as soon as she opened her lips to pronounce the first word, they waited not for the second, for they were already in hell, and the swiftness of an angel proper to them as pure spirits seemed to them tardy in their flight from the mother of the omnipotent.
444. They were unable to leave the abysmal caverns until, as I shall re soon relate, they received permission to come forth with the great dragon to do battle with the Queen of Heaven, and in hell itself they sought the localities farthest removed from the place where she was upon earth. I must remark that by these triumphs the Most Holy Mary so vanquished the demon that he could not return to reassume the same position or jurisdiction in those places of which he was dispossessed. But this infernal serpent was and is so venomous that new heads grew upon him, where the former are cut off, continually evolving new schemes of malice and wickedness against God and his church. Following up her victory, the great mistress of the world, with the consent of Christ our Savior, immediately ordered one of her holy angels to repair to the temple of Diana and destroy it without leaving a stone upon a stone. Of all the women that dwelt there, he was to save only nine, designated by her, while all the rest should die and be buried in the ruins of the building. These were reprobates whose souls, before they could increase their punishment, by more sin should be buried in hell with the demons whom they had obeyed and worshipped. 4.45 The angel of the Lord executed the mandate of his queen and mistress, and in the shortest space of time, the rich and famous temple of Diana, the establishment of which had consumed many ages, was shattered to the dust. So sudden was the destruction and ruin of it that it roused the astonishment and fear of the inhabitants of Ephesus. He saved the nine women designated by the Most Holy Mary in pursuance of the command of Christ our Savior. For these alone accepted the faith, as I shall relate. All the others perished in the ruins, not leaving even a remembrance of themselves. Although the inhabitants of Ephesus instituted an inquiry, they could find no one upon whom to put the blame as they had been able to do in the burning of the first temple, when, for the sake of the fame attached to his crime, the incendiary delivered himself up of his own accord. The evangelist St. John took occasion from this event to preach with still greater fervor the divine truth, and to free the Ephesians from the deceits and errors of the demons. The evangelist joined the Queen of Heaven in giving thanks to the Most High for this triumph over Lucifer, and over idolatry. 446. But it is necessary here to explain that this event must not be connected with that mentioned in the 19th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles concerning the Temple of Diana, which St. Luke relates, that a renowned artificer of Ephesus called Demetrius, who manufactured silver images of the goddess Diana, conspired with others who were interested in his art or trade against St. Paul. For the apostle preached all through Asia that those were no gods which were manufactured by the hands of men. On account of this new doctrine, Demetrius persuaded his associates that St. Paul was not only ruining their trade, but causing the temple of Diana, so greatly venerated in Asia and the whole world, to be despised. This conspiracy roused the artisans and they, the whole city, so that the cry went up, Great is the Diana of the Ephesians bringing on what St. Luke relates in that chapter. In order to make intelligible what I have said above, I will add that this temple of which St. Luke speaks was another, less costly, and more ordinary temple, which the Ephesians began to build after the most blessed virgin had returned to Jerusalem. 
When St. Paul came to preach in Ephesus, this temple had already been completed. From what St. Luke says, we can gather how deeply ingrown idolatry in the cult of Diana was in the Ephesians and in the whole of Asia. This was natural not only on account of the length of the time in which this error had held sway, but also because that city had made itself illustrious and famous throughout the world by the worship of Diana and its great temple. The inhabitants of Ephesus have been delivered from this deceit and vanity by the Blessed Virgin, and their city, being the seat and source of this worldwide superstition, imagined that they could not live without their goddess or without their building temples in her honor. So ingrained was the ignorance of the true God among the heathens that many apostles and many years were required for making known the truth and rooting out the cockle of idolatry, especially among the Romans and the Greeks, who esteemed themselves the most wise and civilized of all the nations of the earth. 447. Having destroyed the Temple of Diana, the Most Holy Mary conceived still greater desires of laboring for the exaltation of the name of Christ and for the spread of the Holy Church, in order that the triumph gained over the enemies might bring its proper fruit. While she was thus multiplying her prayers and petitions for this purpose, it happened one day that the holy angels manifested themselves to her in visible forms and said to her, Our queen and mistress, the great God of celestial hosts, commands us to bring thee to heaven before his royal throne to which he calls thee. The most holy mother answered, Behold, here the handmaid of the Lord, let this holy will be done in me. Then the angels received her on a throne of light, such as I have described on other occasions, and bore her into the Empyrean heavens, into the presence of the Most Holy Trinity, which manifested itself, not by an intuitive, but by an abstractive vision. She prostrated herself before the sovereign throne, adored the immutable God in profound humility and reverence. Then the Eternal Father spoke to her and said, My daughter and meekest dove, the cries of thy inflamed heart for the exaltation of my holy name has come to my ears, and thy petitions for the holy church are acceptable in my eyes, inclining me to mercy and clemency. In response to thy love, I wish to renew in thee my power, in order that thou mayest defend my honor and glory, triumph over my enemies and their ancient pride, bind and crush their necks, and in order that through thy victories thou mayest assist my church and acquire new blessings and favors for its members thy brethren. This concludes our reading today for day number 328. We've been reading from volume 4, book 8, chapter 4, paragraphs 440 to 447. In today's reading, we continue to hear about that temple of Diana and these women who dedicate themselves in this temple as they serve this false god, as they make prophecies and all of these uh, sorts kind of in a mocking of the Christian religion. I thought an interesting phrase was found in our reading today. In connection therewith, they committed other most loathsome crimes and deceived the world by their humbugging prophecies. And I think sometimes in our world today, we have some of these humbugging prophecies where False prophets arise, they try to tell us or predict certain things, and then it comes to pass that they weren't prophets at all. But their prophecy usually is meant to dampen us, to make us, you know, feel defeated in a sense. 
But we know that what ultimately prevails in the end is A, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and B, God always wins. And then as these counterfeit virgins, as Maria Vagrida calls them, they are obstinate and they won't embrace the way of eternal life. So they have the gospel shared with them, but they don't accept it. And why would that be? Well, if they accept the gospel of Jesus Christ, well, it means that they would have to change their life. They would have to change everything about themselves, and they're not in a position to want to do that. And so the easiest thing then is simply to ignore, to not convert to the faith that is the way to the kingdom. When Mary was in Ephesus, so she's in Ephesus now, but she leaves, we hear that a temple then uh, they began to build after she returned to Jerusalem. And St. Paul came to preach in Ephesus and when this temple had already been completed. So we're seeing the spread of Christianity. And again, we know it is from Ephesus that a devotion to Mary as mother of God emerges. And finally, we have the comforting words today of Almighty God as Mary is, again, brought into the presence of the Holy Trinity. And God says that through thy victories, thou mayest assist my church and acquire new blessings and favors for its members. This is what Mary does. I can't say it enough. Mary obtains grace for us from God. She advocates at the throne of God for us. She acquires new blessings. And God the Father wishes her to do that. And so today we ask Mary to procure for us the blessings and graces we need as we continue to live our lives here on earth. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you, and Mary pray for you.